Ladies, we all have different symptoms that time of the month. For me, my energy level happens to just dip insanely and I just feel a little down, you know, a little sluggish. And so I'm happy to share Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, and they are dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. And so here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. So, Hormone Harmony is for any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances, and it's perfect for symptoms that put a woman's life on hold, like racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep, and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas when you have no desire to get in bed next to someone if you know what I mean, and also hot flashes and night sweats if you happen to be going through menopause. It's really great for women with menopause. So yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things and for a limited time you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code MAGIC at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code magic for 15% off today. Your hormones will thank you. Come back to the present moment. Even when it's a four alarm fire, you have a moment, you can ground yourself. You're going to make a better decision if you are actually in your body as opposed to in a place of catastrophizing. I know for me, you know, with my initial rupture was my own diagnosis, then my dad's diagnosis, which really brought up all the old stuff for me and then put me on this path to understanding how grief can be a master healer and all the things that we can learn if we're willing to work with our pain as opposed to try to polish our pain. Hello, Yomis, Jaima, Jaima, it is Raquel, and welcome to Your Own Magic, a podcast for the creative and the curious soul. And today, I have the incredible privilege of sitting down with none other than Chris Carr, who is a true beacon of strength and wisdom and inspiration in the realm of wellness and resilience. It was a pleasure to also talk about her latest book, I'm Not a Morning Person, Braving Loss, Grief, and the Big Messy Emotions That Happen When Life Falls Apart, which is set to launch this week, September 19th. Chris Carr is a New York Times bestselling author, a compassionate wellness coach, and a remarkable cancer thriver. I mean, she has been through it, her journey has been nothing short of extraordinary, earning her a coveted spot on Oprah's Super Soul 100, no big deal, and a list celebrating the most influential thought leaders of our time. And Chris's life story was beautifully captured in the documentary Crazy Sexy Cancer, where she served as both the subject and the director. And so during our conversation, 
conversation, Chris will touch on a range of essential topics from healthy examples for channeling fear and anxiety to understanding the difference between getting over and getting through. And we'll delve into the unexpected ways grief and loss manifest in our bodies and behaviors. And Chris will guide us through the intricate landscape of anticipatory grief, a terrain that she happens to know intimately. And Chris will also open up about the pivotal moments that propelled her to pen this book, revealing a deeply personal journey of transformation. And we'll explore the concept of life ruptures, those seismic shifts that often catch us off guard, you know? Yet, these life ruptures, they can hold the key to our next chapter. And since she's an author, of course I had to ask her about her writing process and tips and tricks. I just had to know it all. So whether you're in the midst of your own storm or standing beside someone weathering theirs, this episode promises to be a beacon of light and a source of strength and a testament to the resilience of the human spirit. So with all that being said, I believe it is time to let the magic begin with Chris Carr. have with me the brilliant Chris Carr and I can tell you I've been so looking forward to this interview because you have so many expanding books that have helped many people and it's just such an honor to connect with you Chris. It's an honor to be here with you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) What is lighting you up most in this season of your life? Oh, well, I'd say right now it's talking about the book and um, it's really doing this work because it's been such an important part of my own healing journey and for a lot of people who know me, you know, they know my story of being a cancer thriver and I've written many books for women who have, you know, been on the same journey as me, but also for folks who are interested in plant-based eating and all these wonderful things. And I I sort of say that, you know, the first part of my career was to help people address what they were eating and now I'm really focused on helping people address what's eating them. I'm curious what the turning point was in your life then that led you to advocate for what you advocate for. And I'd love to hear your cancer thriving, surviving story and also why you focus on living a healthy lifestyle and encourage others to do so as well. Yeah. So, you know, I was in a very different career. It was a very different time in my life. It was 2003. Mm -hmm. And on Valentine's Day that year, I got a stage four incurable cancer diagnosis. And that was really the the moment where the rubber meets the road. And I, I write about this in my in my new book. It, it was really uh, a rupture for me. And it's that moment when the shit hits the fan. It's the moment when the rug gets pulled out from under you. It's the moment you don't think you're going to survive. And back then, you know, I've been living with cancer for 20 years now. And back then, there was very little known about my disease. Sometimes it can be slow moving. Sometimes it can be aggressive. It's really a watch and wait uh, kind of approach, which is what I've taken for the last 20 years. But what I didn't want to do was just sort of sit there and not participate in my well-being. So I dove health first, uh, head first into healthy, holistic living and really, yeah, I started with my diet and my lifestyle and then it really moved um it progressed from there. And really right now for me in this season, certainly writing this book, I'm not a morning person. Uh, it's about supporting our mental well-being, especially 
because so many of us have gone through a rupture, right? So many of us, especially in these last few years, have really found themselves and ourselves in a very different place and we need the tools to help survive these storms. Absolutely. And you have so many tools. What are some effective techniques or strategies to weather these storms? I talk about a lot of different things, but I think, you know, when it comes to grief, so this book is truly about grief and loss and and also braving the big uh, messy emotions that happen when you're not expecting your life to fall apart. And I think the thing that I have learned the most in this last three years is that a lot of these feelings are uh, feelings that many of us push down or push aside because we're afraid that if we allow ourselves to feel like, for example, grief, that we'll be taken under, that we won't have the tools, that we'll fall apart, we'll come apart at the seams. And I've learned that you know the only way out is through And when you have an experience like a rupture, when you're on your knees, when you are coming face to face with grief and loss, what we don't always realize is that there are other big emotions that come along with it. So I remember when my therapist said to me, you know, when the grief train pulls into the station, it brings all the cars. So it brings anger, it brings rage, it brings envy. It may bring old griefs that you thought that you were over, but you're actually not. It could also bring some trauma up for you. And as I just said a moment ago, it's hard for many of us to think that we'll be able to survive if we allow any of this stuff in. But I have come to realize that the more we push it down, the more we try to shoot away, the more we run and hide and things like alcohol and all shopping and all the different things that we can do to distract ourselves, the more the pain stacks up. So true. I mean, my dad is almost 80. I have this fear of him passing away. And I know that I'm going to go through a very heavy grieving process and it's going to be books like this that I know will help me. But also you talk about anticipatory grief, which I thought was so interesting. Can you explain the concept of anticipatory grief and why it begins before an actual loss occurs? Yeah, this was something that actually took me by surprise. And, you know, I want to just take a step back and say, like, because I've been living on this journey of being a patient and I've had many of many losses and, you know, life-changing experiences in my own life, you would think that I would kind of have my shit together when it comes to grief. And I didn't. And the reason why this is called, I'm not a morning person, morning with a you is because it's the one emotion I ran from. I did not want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. Um, and so I realized that when I was coming up against um, my 20 year cancer anniversary. My dad was diagnosed with cancer. You know, it was the pandemic. I was having big stumbles in my business that I was like, if I don't start to address some of this stuff, <laughs> I, I, I think I'm going to really truly fall apart. Like, I need support here and I need to dive into this. And so, really, that was the inciting incident um, his diagnosis, but then all the other things that were happening in the world and what was coming up for me as I was approaching my 20-year milestone, thinking these are things that I had processed, but not really realizing that I actually hadn't processed them. And so going back to your question about anticipatory grief, it's really like the anticipation of the loss. And what we don't realize is that, for example, with losing a person in our lives, that these feelings of loss and grief may come up, even though that person is still very much right in front of you, maybe 
watching TV with you. And here you are in this place of feeling sadness and, you know, you're feeling hopelessness, you're feeling all these different emotions and the person's right there. And so another thing that happens as a result of that, or at least this was my experience is, then you feel guilty. You're like, oh my gosh, why am I having these feelings? This person is still here. Or why am I having these feelings? Like if I if I put that out into the universe, right, I'm going to manifest ill will and all of these types of things, <laughs> right? I feel that on the soul level. Yeah. So we get scared. And the truth is, is that grief happens long before loss, yeah. right? It's it, not always for every person, but it is common for grief to begin before the loss happens. And that's okay. Basically, all of this stuff that we're experiencing and feeling is okay. The only thing that's not okay is not allowing ourselves to be where we are and tend to our hearts. Yes, and to just feel it. I so, so, so agree with that. And I do recognize it when that does come up. I'm like, Raquel, no, stop. It's okay. But at the same time, I do have this wild, sometimes at sleepless nights, worried about this grief that I know is going to come in due time. And so what advice or strategies can you offer for navigating this anticipatory grief and its emotional complexities? Well, you know, let's let's talk about fear and anxiety for a minute, because again, when we're going through a rough spot, and it's not just when we lose somebody, and it it's so many types of losses that we experience. It could be you know, the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship, it could be loss of financial security, the loss of a friendship, you know, all of a sudden out of the blue, your friend ghosts you, right? And all of these emotions that you're feel- feeling are grief or you're afraid, like, let's say it is a diagnosis and you're afraid you're going to lose somebody or, or in my case, knowing that my father had a terminal condition, knowing that he was going to pass, right? And so- what happens around this very big life rupture is some of these other emotions come come up for healing, come up for feeling. And you mentioned anxiety. And so what can happen, you know, fear is basically it comes on in a moment. It has a beginning, middle, and an end. Anxiety is the worry about something that may or may not happen, right? And you you are in the middle of the night and you're ruminating and you're worried about you know, whatever it is that's coming up that's giving you a sense of fear, anxiety, et cetera. And our opportunity in that moment is to lean on some of these very basic tools that each of us has, and maybe sometimes we forget we have them, but like first and foremost, breathe, take that deep breath, right? And it creates that space. It creates that space between your anxiety and the present moment. It's almost like your breath can insert a little gap between what you're ruminating about and where you are in this moment. In this moment, your person isn't gone. In this moment, you are safe. In this moment, all these other things are happening. But when we're future tripping, we forget it all. And our brains, as you know, they're so clever. (laughs) Right. We tell ourselves really scary stories. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right? I love that too. Future tripping. I think that I've definitely fallen down that loop many times. And you also said something there, which I know you talk about in the book, life ruptures. Now, can you please elaborate on 
how these life ruptures can potentially lead to personal growth and transformation, but also what are, why do they manifest and how, how can they catch us off guard? Well, the life rupture really is that moment when your life completely changes. It's that moment where it crumbles. It's that moment where it falls to pieces. And sometimes it can be a shock and really catch you off guard. And sometimes, you know, you you knew it was coming, and but it still completely devastates you, right? And we all go through these experiences. We cannot get out of life without them, right? So, but of course we feel unprepared because they're apt, they rock our worlds and few of us have the tools that we need to survive storms of this magnitude, right? These are all tools that we can acquire, you know, that we can develop. But oftentimes when the shit hits the fan, we're like, oh my gosh, what's the, what's the first thing for me to do? Um, for me, it's always what we just did, which was breathe, right? Just ground yourself, come back to the present moment. Even when it's a four alarm fire, you have a moment, you can ground yourself. You're going to make a better decision if you are actually in your body as opposed to in a place of catastrophizing. And I know for me, you know, my initial rupture was my own diagnosis, then my dad's diagnosis, which really brought up all the old stuff for me and put me on this path to understanding how grief can be a master healer and all the things that we can learn if we're willing to work with our pain as opposed to try to polish our pain, Ooh. right? And make it a go away. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, but one of the things I'll say, just going back to rupture, is when we find ourselves in this place and we're caught in the fear loop or the anxiety loop, we may get stuck asking ourselves the question, why? Why did this happen? Right? Why did this happen to me? Bah, 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 bah. And answering that question can be very valuable because sometimes we can, or attempting to answer it, sometimes there can be a very simple uh, resolution that comes from that or a very, some very simple guidance that we can actually use. But more often than not, when we keep asking why and we get stuck in that place, we keep ourselves stuck in the past, you know? And so what I love to tell people, especially anybody who's navigating a really tough time who might be listening to us, is ask a better question. And that question is, okay, I can't change what just happened. I can't change the past. So I'm going to ask a better question, which is what? What can I do now? What can I do to support my mind? What can I do to support my body? What can I do to support my spirit? Because I need me right now. So what can I do to support me? I'm all about that fuss-free glam. Give me makeup that's versatile and feels like air on my skin and has ingredients that love my face, that's good for my face. You know, clean ingredients. And don't even get me started on mascaras because I do want them bold and lengthening. <laughs> and so we have Thrive Cosmetics, which I've been using since 2020, obviously because I appreciate their foolproof products that make it really easy to apply for any skill level. And they have a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look, but also they give back. Every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, hence why it's 
it's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E, Medics. Thrive Cosmetics and Bigger Than Beauty skincare are not just makeup brands, they're a whole vibe. They're all about empowering us to rock our confidence, and when you support them, we are helping other communities thrive. Their stuff is not only easy to use, but no nasties, zero parabens, sulfites, phthalates. They are 100% vegan and cruelty-free. Let's talk lashes. Thanks to Thrive's liquid lash extensions, I must say that my lashes are just so beautiful and lush. It adds lengths. There are no clumps. And also, guess what? It slides right off with warm water. So no raccoon eyes here. And I appreciate they have nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier-looking lashes over time. And it's a unique formula they use that creates these tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. We've had problems in the past with the link, but the link does work now. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash magic for 10% off your first order. that would already naturally be so healing and helpful, especially since there's so many different physical and behavioral symptoms that can manifest that we don't consciously recognize of when we do experience grief. It's been a while since I've experienced that deep grief of losing somebody close to me, but I do remember it taking so much time to let go of the past. It wasn't so much letting go, it was more so accepting. You know, it took so much time. So do you have any tips or advice for those who feel like they have been stuck in this space of grief for a long period of time and so they can resolve whatever is going on? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've learned in this experience is that there's no such thing as moving on, Mm -hmm. right? There's moving through, and I think we all need to lower the bar on our expectations of ourselves. And oftentimes, you know, we live in a society that that um, glamorizes that that hero's journey, that you know, beginning, middle, and end, that shiny bow at the end of the story, you know, the happy ending. And that isn't always reality. And so we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, When we go through a big life rupture or we go through a loss or, you know, something very devastating has happened to us, like let's say we've had a miscarriage, right? There is a hole. There is a rip. That's okay. That is okay. That doesn't mean that new life can't also grow around that that new beautiful experiences can't come into our life. But to expect something to be done and behind us, I think is to set ourselves and our hearts up for failure. Because grief, the other side of grief is love. There are two sides of the coin. We cannot have love without loss because we're human and we are all going to die. So we're all going to lose somebody dear to us, we're going to lose ourselves, right? We, ca- we are mortal creatures. And so I think that when we're willing to look at this, not only are we better able to 
live our lives fully, our, you know, our priorities come into focus, our values come into sharp relief, our desires become more, you know, prominent in our lives. And therefore we may really truly be willing to own the deepest magic that we each and every one of us have. But we're able to shepherd ourselves and each other through big passages in life. And and that's a privilege, you know. So what when when we have these opportunities to close chapters, and maybe they're the closing a chapter with a relationship or closing a chapter where you're 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 helping a loved one transition to the next realm. Right? We're able to show up fully in our full heart space because we're not afraid of the places that we may need to go that love always takes us if we allow it to. Chris, that is so beautifully said. I have <laughs> chills, I have chills. And it reminds me of this concept you talk about getting over versus getting through. And I think that this is a powerful concept to differentiate, which you do. And would do you mind defining these concepts? And also what are some practical steps someone can take to perhaps move from trying to get over something and getting through it in a healthier way? Well, you know, I'll tell a little story here. So when I was newly diagnosed and I was very focused on being in remission and I wanted to be cured of cancer and when there, nobody had the cure, I said, screw it, I'm going to figure it out on my own. And <laughs> yes. I started taking care of myself and you know, drinking all the green juice and mm-hmm. becoming vegan and meditating and doing all the wonderful things that are so healthy for us. And you know, but I was doing it for cancer. So I was doing it out of fear. And even though I was feeling better, I was still really driven by this fear because I thought to myself, what if, you know, I can't, I can't move on with my life unless this thing is behind me, unless cancer's gone, unless I'm in remission, unless I'm one of the lucky ones. And then I realized this is about 10 years in, okay? Then I realized, what if I live my entire life with this? incurable stage four cancer that happens to be knock on wood stable right now. And I missed all the good moments because I thought I had no business living unless it was over. Unless I had that happy ending. In fact, I wasn't even going to write my book or make my documentary or do, and I've written seven now, until I was cured of cancer because I thought I won't be helpful to anybody because I won't have a happy ending, right? And so not only was I holding myself back, but I was holding back what some of my gifts are, right? And so around the 10-year mark, I said, wait a minute, I have to start living my life for me and doing these healthy things for me, right? Not for cancer, not taking care of my body for cancer, taking my care of my body for Chris. And because it yeah. feels good to feel good, yes. right? It feels good. And so, you know, to answer your question, it's about if I, if I take that and I apply that to other areas of my life, I don't have to wait for something to be gone to keep living. And when it comes to grief and loss, sometimes it's always going to be a part of us, right? We can't amputate any of our emotions and expect to be whole, right? It's like saying, oh, happiness, you're welcome, but anger, uh uh-uh. Right, 
Right. We need to experience the full spectrum. We do because we are very dynamic individuals. And the more we push a certain aspect of ourselves down or we try to tuck an emotion away, the more it comes out in destructive ways instead. And so through is saying, you know, Carl Jung has a um, has a idea that he has shared that's basically we don't get over something, we don't move on, we don't move past, we orbit. So we orbit around some of the same themes for our entire lives, but with each orbit, we pass a new layer of meaning. That is so true. Right. So if you're orbiting, say, yay me, here I am again. <laughs> I'm, I'm here, I'm having this experience again, and what am I going to get out of it this time? Yeah, what's the lesson here? Yeah. It can be hard, though, when you're experiencing grief to think that there's a lesson. You know what I mean? But, of course, there always is. However, it's okay to not feel that way, I think. That's what I remember experiencing, like, people wanting to preach to me about a lesson or that they're in a better place. And I was just feeling the experience of grief. But then I wanted to let it go and... There were so many different pent-up emotions in the long run that were just unresolved. And so I'm curious if there's any common patterns or signs that people should be aware of to identify if they are experiencing unresolved grief. So even though they might be experiencing a full spectrum of emotions, um, maybe there's something that they need to recognize to look into in order to consciously recognize what their grief has manifested into becoming. Yeah. I mean, I want to go back to what you said about the lessons though, because you're you're touching on something that's really important. I have a chapter in the book that's called Awkward Times, Awkward People. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and it's all the weird stuff we say or we hear and all the inappropriate things. And it's because when we're suffering, our people are also suffering and they don't know what to say because many of us don't have, as I said, these tools. We're a very grief illiterate society. And so we'll we'll say hurtful things without even realizing it, or we'll center ourselves, make it at all about us, hijack the conversation. Oh, that happened to me too, you know, to make it a teachable moment and, and all this kind of stuff, which only makes the person feel more and more isolated and invisible. And so I love that you shared the, the, you know, there's a lesson in it and look, sometimes the lesson is it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just freaking sucks, you know? And sometimes the last thing you want to hear is like, look on the bright side or oh, you lived a long life yeah. or you'll have another baby. And you're like, shut up. Yep. <laughs> you know, I'm, I don't want another baby, you know? And, and so so I think the more we educate ourselves, the more as we, the people going through it, can realize, oh, we're just all awkward aliens, right? We, none of us know what to do or say. And, you know, when, when somebody is in pain, it, it touches something in us where we feel overwhelmed. We feel a blast of cortisol. We feel like we're in fight or flight because we don't know what to do, right? So slow it all down take a breath. The best thing in these scenarios is to listen. I, I, I call it, you know, like active listening and being really courageous and being able to, to sit with somebody and sit in their mud, right? Don't, 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 don't try to rush through it. Don't try to change the subject. 
you know, I don't know what to say, but I love you. That's what they need. Just someone to just listen. Just listen. Yes. I try to remind myself, even if somebody's just going through something, I have to remind myself because I tend to want to always help, always offer advice. But remind myself, sometimes people just want to vent. Just listen and be heard. I love that you shared that because <laughs> I am I am an advice giver as well. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's uh, I think it's so smart for people like us to take a beat yeah. and then even ask your friend – Let's say your friend has just gone through a terrible breakup. Hey, do you want to vent or do you want to brainstorm? Right. You know, yeah. like just ask before yeah. you say, you know, here's 10 things you can do that it will definitely make you feel better. It's like, dude, I'm exhausted. Shush. I just got to cry. Um, but to, But going back to the question you had about, you know, unresolved grief, I think, like as I said, there's – Often there are many scenarios where grief is is just one of those emotions. It's it's not necessarily going away. It might not be as bright as the day that it happened, especially as we start to learn to work with this feeling. But if you're stuck, like really stuck, it's important to get help. This is not something to white knuckle through. So that could be a therapist, a counselor, you know, certainly relying on your very close friendships and not isolating. Oh, that's big. And man, if someone can seek and reach for help, I think that's going to help them immensely. What if also, you know, somebody or you're close to somebody who has experienced some very deep grief in their life, perhaps at a young age, and now they're older, you know, of course, are holding on to that loss. How can you help support them? You know, Everybody has to be willing to support themselves. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things we don't want to do is come swooping in like, hey, you know why you're so depressed or you know why you're such an asshole? So you've got this unresolved trauma and, you know, I want to help you with that. Like we were just talking about. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I often say the only time you can change someone is when they're in diapers. <laughs> That's a great one. I'm writing that down. You know, it's true. But you can be, you can be a good friend. You can mm -hmm. be good company. Mm -hmm. You can share what has helped you. Um, you know, the things that have helped me, I put in the book. The things that have helped me, I'm, I've shared with the, the closest people in my life and or the people in my community and whatnot. Um, but we can't force people to do the work. Yeah, that's very true. You also have three key pivotal moments that called you to write this book. I'm curious about these significant events or experiences in your life that motivated you to write this book on grief and loss along with your dad. Yeah, yes. some of them we've <laughs> talked about. So yeah. my own yeah. diagnosis and the, my cancer anniversary mm -hmm. when I thought – you know, there's a lot of unprocessed stuff here. I can't believe I've gone mm -hmm. 20 years with this. I was given 10 years to live. And life changed yeah. very dramatically. And in, in many ways, life changed in very beautiful ways that I never would have anticipated. But when my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and then it became terminal, it's what we talked about earlier, which is those old things came up. You know, yeah. the grief train pulls into the station and it brings all the cars. So stuff I thought I had processed, stuff I was never wanted to process, old traumas and dramas. And it, it it just all came to roost, it felt like. And 
I realize that as many tools as I have and have shared, like I said, this is my seventh book. I've been doing this for 20 years now. The one area I wasn't willing to go was the area that I just spent the last three years writing about. And it's this work. And so, you know, I wanted to write, I remember because my publisher was saying, hey, it's it's been a bit, it's time for another book. And this was before the pandemic. And I was like, oh, I'm going to write some very uplifting, motivational, you've got this type of book. And, you know, it's filled with rah-rah energy and hope and fuel and fire. And then I was like, oh my God, I need a nap. I can't do that. That's just not the place I'm in right now. There's deeper work that needs to happen in order for me to get to a place where I even want to spend time in the light. And so I said, screw it. You know, you're going to write about this topic, which is so not sexy and so few people want to write about. And my publishers or publishers, many publishers were like, you know, grief books, books about loss and grief and pain and stuff like that. They just don't really sell. And I'm like, I don't know how that's possible since we're all experiencing it, especially right post pandemic. And I was like, well, if one person buys it and I help that person, there we go. You know? Yes. You know, and I just dove in. I'm so glad that you did because we actually probably need more books on grief and loss. I agree with you. Also, I think something important that you talk about, because this is big, and you were talking about awkward people saying awkward things, but I'd like to get specific here. What are some common phrases or reactions people should avoid at all costs when supporting someone who is going through a difficult time or the rug has been pulled out from under them? Oh, boy. Well, there's a lot of goodies here. I, I put a lot in the book. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it's interesting because I, um, I recently did a keynote, and I talked about this in the keynote, and, and so many people came up to me afterwards, and they said, can I share the thing that was that someone said to me that still hurts? Mm-hmm. Right? We're all carrying around these boo-boos and the thing that was said to us that still hurts. Yeah. And folks who have gone through, you know, a loss of some kind, sometimes they have even more of those things because as I said, we're awkward. We don't really know what to do. So we vomit out things that are never supposed to go together. It's just, God bless us. You know, it's not our fault. We're just kind of bumbling around. So, you know, for example, with miscarriage, you oftentimes what people will say, you're young, you'll have another baby. That's like a common one I've heard. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? Or, and of course, you, you're you the person going through it, maybe thinking, yeah, but I, I wanted this baby. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, or or he lived a long life. Right. At least he lived a long life. And there's really oh. no at least in grief. Yeah. There isn't. Yeah. It doesn't make it any easier. That's true. Very, very or, true. you know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Oh, that one I can't. <laughs> I personally don't I don't subscribe to a, a God of that knowing. You exactly. know, and it's it's again, I think what's happening, no matter what you you hear, another thing is like it doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. Yeah, I used to subscribe to that and now I feel a little off with it. I don't, I don't know how I feel about it anymore. So you <laughs> what I, what we can connect on though is that we're all trying. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Somebody's trying, but they might 
might not necessarily, their their efforts might be falling flat in a big way. (laughs) And so all we can do, I think, is do courageous acknowledgement, which is what I talked about earlier, is just be willing to say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say, but I love you. And I'm here to listen. And I'm going to pick up lasagna. Like I am going to show up and I'm going to can I walk the dog? Can I pick up the kids? Can I can I do something for you? Here are the things that I would like to do because sometimes the person's in decision fatigue, right? And people say, oh, let me know if you need something. Don't ever say that. <sighs> Why not? Why not? Don't say that because the person isn't likely going to ask you. True. You're basically putting it back on the person who in that moment is maybe completely frozen completely overwhelmed, completely, you know, like I said, in decision fatigue, instead of saying, let me know if there's something you need, you could say, hey, I'm going by the grocery store. Can I pick up anything for you? Or I'm going by the grocery store and I'm going to get, you know, takeout tonight. I'm going to leave that takeout on your doorstep. You don't even have to come out and say hi to me. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Just you know, be, I'll just text. That is helpful. You know, so you're basically saying these are the things I can do. Yeah, yeah exactly. That is as helpful as it gets and being proactive. I love, 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 love that advice. I'm going to pocket that indeed. <laughs> Since you've written so many books and uh, where a lot of aspiring writers are listening, I'm always curious about a an author's writing process. And it may differ, I'm yeah. sure, but I would love to hear your routine, your writing routine and process. Oh, I love this question. This is a fun one for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. That's a fun one too for me. Like you said so beautifully, everybody's got a different process. Mine is very specific to me and what I need, but I am... Um, I like structure and I do best with structure and I do best when I'm writing consistently. And so meaning like back to back. And so during this process, it's like a certain amount of time at the exact same time every single day, you know, or it's six days a week or sometimes it's five days a week with two days off. But I liked doing more of like a six day a week experience, two, three hours a day. And because that kept me in the flow, it kept me in the pocket. Um, so a lot of times, you know, especially if this is what I do for a living, so I can carve out that amount of time. But for people who say, well, I don't have time, then we'll never you'll never create your project. You have to put some of that time aside and give yourself, if you could give yourself an hour every day, you know, or an hour, five days a week or something that's like a dedicated time that you can show up and and don't wait for inspiration. I think that that's a rookie mistake. Good point. That's so true. Because inspiration is not what finished this book. <laughs> it was showing up. It's like showing up for yourself. You know, you just show mm-hmm. up. And some days you're going to be more productive than others, um, but you're still going to show up. And I feel like that is the the big difference between wanting to be a writer and actually becoming a writer. Ooh, so true. Uh, ah. Was it better? <laughs> Easier way. I'm sorry. Uh, no, that is honestly that's the big thing though. Sometimes I I have to think of the Nike slogan. I don't know why, but that little thing, <laughs> just do it, helps me. 
with everything, with workout, with writing, with taking a shower. I just have to tell myself, just do it, even when I don't want to. You are so right. That's it, you know? <laughs> that's it. And f- another little tip for me is I start with index cards. Oh, that's awesome. How so? What do your index cards look like? Well, it's just basically I... So a lot of this book and most of the stuff that I do, I like to teach through story. So I start the chapters with a story and then I'll go into some teaching, some research and, you know, wherever it takes me, um, which is like where the practical tools come out. But the whole thing begins with a story because we, I believe that we learn more through story. We see ourselves in somebody else's story and we get connected to the author more. We can get connected to ourselves more. And so if you're thinking about writing a bigger project, you know, let's say it's on, you know, what manifesting, whatever it is, you start with the stories of your own life. You know, we are the experts. We think, oh, I have to have this, that, and the other thing to prove my worth. No, you are the expert of your own life and you have so much wisdom. And so I would mine stories and I create a story bank. These are all the stories for, in this example, it's about loss and about, you know, what to expect when you're not expecting your life to fall apart. And then I'm like, okay, these are the key pivotal points in my life that where I had to make a different decision. I had to go a different way. I had to learn more skills. I had to come against my edges. I had to grow in ways that either I was fighting like a freaking Marlin or <laughs> finally surrendering. And there's juice here. There's something to show and, 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 uh, you know, help others with. And so that becomes the backbone. And then within those stories, you look for themes right? And then that's when the index cards start coming out. I start to move, you know, if I know it's going to be 12 chapters, I start to say, okay, here are the main stories, here are the themes. And then I can start to play with these index cards underneath and they can move around like, oh, wow, chapter five, it should be in chapter 12. And, you know, I don't know if this is getting too heady, but that's what helps me. That is very helpful, actually. That's such a brilliant idea. I think I need to get some index cards. Get them, girl. Get them. Okay, I'm also curious. How did you come up with the name I'm Not a Morning Person? Quite clever. Quite clever. With a U. <laughs> um, I got to say that I have a Google Doc with about 200 different titles for this book. Oh, wow. <laughs> 200. Wow. Literally. Because again, it took me three years to write. And I, every single one of them, it just didn't have spark for me because there's a lot of, there's a lot of heart in this book. There's a lot of humor in this book. And I, to tell you the truth, I started watching stand up comedy because it's my go to for like, that's how I wind down. Oh, same. I love it. I'm curious who you listen oh, to. Oh, God. I love stand up comedy. As do I. As <laughs> do I. And, I'm like, for whatever reason, I don't even remember who I was listening to. I think the moral of this is don't just look in the obvious places for your creative spark, right? Look outside of the obvious places. You know, if you want to write a book on XYZ, don't just look at all the people who have written books on XYZ Mm. because you find inspiration everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I knew that this book I wanted a title that captured some of that humor that was in the book. And I wanted a title that made someone really stop. And all of the other titles that I had didn't. And so it was just one night after watching stand up. And I was like, huh, 
huh. And it came to me because I was opening a channel thanks to a whole other, you know, layer of inspiration that came in from stand-up. And that's how it that's how it happened. I thought this is perfect because I'm freaking not. <laughs> I'm not a morning person. In neither sense. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Do you have time for a quick rapid fire? Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Same. Fave form of body movement. Dance. I love that. Do you have a favorite comedian? I have many. Stand-up comedian. Right now, I'm, <laughs> I am uh, I love Chelsea Handler. Yeah, she's brilliant. <laughs> but there's another one, too, that I'm obsessed with. Her name is Rosebud Baker. I don't know if I've heard of her. I'll have to look her up. Find her. She's hilarious. I'll find her. Do you know your astrological big three? Oh, gosh. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I'm – okay, I, this, I'm this i going to get it wrong, but I think I'm Leo Virgo Leo. Ooh, a double Leo as well. Same. That's cool. Girl. I know. That is awesome. <laughs> happy birthday soon. Thank you. <laughs> um, where is your happy place? Oh, my happy place is oh, at home. I love mm-hmm. – I'm such a homebody and mm-hmm. I love creating beautiful sacred space for myself here. So it's it's here. That's beautiful. And animal you connect with most, if any. Dogs. Yes, of course, dogs. <laughs> Do you have a dog? Both of my dogs passed while I was writing this book. Wow. So I I know. It was like loss on top of loss. And I wrote a whole chapter about pet loss because it's something that often doesn't get a lot of attention. And in some ways, people can you know believe that there's a hierarchy of grief and there you grief has to be really griefy for an order for in order for it to count but it's what the person or the thing or the fur baby meant to you this what matters and so i was like you know for all the pet lovers out there this one's for you let's get in i'm so glad you did that my fur baby is my child he's my son he's your son yes he is <laughs> um and so when you do wake up in the morning, do you have a morning routine? Yes, I put my hands on my heart and I say thank you body for another day. Oh, man, and that's coming from a cancer thriver. That is significant. And if you could gift everyone a book excluding your own, what would it be? Oh. You know, I would say Brené Brown's latest book. Um Atlas of the Heart or Atlas Heart. I'm sorry, I'm getting the name wrong, but it's all about her teaching us to become emotionally literate because many of us don't really understand, myself included, don't really understand what we're feeling, what that emotion is, how to navigate it. Like we learn all of these things in life, some of which I don't give a shit about. Like algebra, I don't know how it's relevant, but maybe it is, but I learned it. But then there's these basics that so many of us really struggle with. And I think our emotions, getting to know them more and appreciate them and accept them is such a big, important assignment for us. And so that book is just filled with such practical wisdom. Love, Brene Brown. So thank you for that suggestion. And this is the last question. I ask all the Your Own Magic guests, how would you advise the Your Own Magic listeners to create their own magic? Oh. Good question. Well, first of all, believe that you can. Believe that you can. It's not for somebody else. It's not for somebody better than you, further along than you, prettier than you, more X, Y, Z with the more resources than you. It's for you. Mm -hmm. So everything starts with that belief 
that magic is possible for us as well. Chills. Yes. I love that, Chris. And where can everyone connect with you? <laughs> the best. You're so fun. I love your energy. So I love your energy. It's radiant. Thank you. Right back at you. ChrisCar.com. Chris with a K, K R I S car.com. And two R's with car. Yes, ma'am. C A R R. So that's where everyone can get your book. How about social media? Where can everyone connect with you on social media? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at Crazy Sexy Chris. I love that name. It's like your uh, documentary, Crazy Sexy Cancer. Yep. That's where it all started. I do have one last question. Actually. Go for it. Okay. I changed my mind. One last question. I'm curious what it was like creating that film and how did that change your life? It changed my life in so many ways because. I was diagnosed and two weeks later, I turned the camera on. And then four years after that, I sold it to the Discovery Channel and then to Oprah. And <laughs> yeah. and No big deal. No big deal. Um, but I will say, going back to magic, nobody thought I could do it. And everybody told me to change the name. And nobody, everybody said nobody will want to see something like that. And then, you know, it aired on Discovery Channel, own TLC, it won film festivals, it was the real starting point for what I do now. And I said, I have nothing to lose. And I believe in this. And I know that there are other women out there because at the time that, well, this film is really for young women, newly diagnosed, living with cancer, you know, basically it was for my people. And I said, I know that there's women out there like me and they are not represented. <laughs> and so I just said, I'm doing this for us. And I really, nothing could stop me. You know what I mean? And so I, it was that belief that, no, this is needed and it's going to happen. And it took four years for it to happen and credit cards and, right. you know, me being willing to put myself out there and hustle my little tushy off. Um, but it did happen. And so that's where it started. And here we are 20 years later. Ah, oh, see, this is why it's such an honor to chat with you as you were a true beacon of strength and resilience and just overall wellness wisdom and motivation. And I just, I'm so thankful to have connected with you today. I'm so thankful to you. <laughs> Thank you, honey. Thank you. Yomis, that is a wrap. I hope this episode was expanding for you in some way, shape, or form. Feel free to visit our site at yourownmagic.com or check out my shop, eyesofaspen.com. Connect with the other Your Own Magic listeners. We would love to see more conversations started on the Your Own Magic Facebook group. So with all that being said, thank you so much again for tuning in and I hope you have a magical rest of your day.